so they may see the narrow way to life and trust the one who gives it. That is our desire as a church and in helping them come to Jesus, we want to help them know what it means to belong to Him, to believe in Him, to become what He has declared for us to become and to be sent where He has declared for us to be sent. And over the last few weeks, in light of this, we have been partnering uh, with our network of churches in an emphasis, an initiative called Who's Your One? Who's Your One is, is, an, is a time of concentrated prayer, a time of concentrated sharing, a time of concentrated preaching, uh, in a concerted effort to say, hey, we're going to look at the same text together in, in churches across the nation. We're going to pray together in churches across the nation, in the local church and in the church as a whole, to be about the business and the mission of sharing the hope of Jesus to those who are desperately in need of it. So we are thankful for such a partnership. And today, as we think about that hope and that need, that desperate need for a world in darkness, enslaved by sin, overcome by the, the direction that all of us have faced, the destination all of us face of death, we have to really come to some really grave conclusions before we really sometimes get initiated. Most of us like good news, right? We, we enjoy having good news. I, I like good news. I, I like it when there's the news that, hey, there's a bonus coming, or you won a prize. Um, I just got back from a convention, a conference down in Indianapolis. Had a great time. want to say thank you to the church for you're always making a way for that to be possible through, through what you uh, helped support me with, and I thank you for that, and those that let me take the time to be away and get refreshed. But you know what I love about that? The free stuff. Oh, man, I love the free stuff. I, I was showing someone a picture today of my haul, my loot, that uh, I, I come away with when I go to these conferences, and I keep having to find new bookshelf space, and that's okay. I'm, well... Um, that's fine with me. If I have to get new bookshelf space, that's quite all right because I love new books. I love reading. I love having that free stuff. It's good news that you could go there that, that yes, the preaching is phenomenal. Yes, the music is incredible. Yes, the passion and, and common effort and zeal is great. But then there's that little bonus feature that there's good news. Now, how many of you would sign up to a conference or a vacation or some kind of outing where all of it's going to be bad news. None of us would, right? No, I don't want that. I'm not going to pay for that. I'm not going to go to that. I'm not willing to submit myself to hearing that. None of us would want to do that because we like the good news and we don't like bad news. We don't like bad, uh, impactful, dark things unless we can make it somehow comical unless we can somehow make it disconnected from us, where we can see the darkness, but not enough to feel it. Well, I want to let you know that today, because the Bible does paint the picture of such good news, it also does not hide from us the bad news. The bad news of a topic that I hate, hear me out, hate preaching about. It's not the worst thing I hate preaching about. The worst thing I hate to preach about is 
actually tithing. That's like the worst thing I hate preaching on. I'll be honest. I don't like preaching on that. But this is the second worst, and it's the subject of hell. Now, I've said the word hell before. It's, it's come up in conversation. It's a part of the gospel message about the offense of sin. But preaching on that topic, on that subject, that's difficult. That's not easy. That's not something that I don't think any preacher looks forward to preaching on, no matter how much they may be a hellfire and brimstone preacher. But we need to look at this reality. We need to look at this subject because I think it gives more fuel to already the gospel fuel that Jesus gives us. It gives us a little bit more to see why there's such urgency about sharing the good news because we know what life is without it. We know what life is working towards without it. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your copy of God's Word to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. As we're going to tackle the subject, the reality of hell. Now when we think about hell, and you may be already uncomfortable with the fact that I'm using the word hell, but I am using it in the right context, unlike the comical context that we try to sometimes add by misusing the word, by misappropriating it. We like to kind of jostle and juggle around with the subject and disconnect ourselves from it by saying, wow, that was a hell of a game. Oh, wow, that was a hell of a time. Oh, wow, <laughs> this can just go to hell. And we, we say it, and, and it becomes joking. And, and I'll be honest, I was out in my backyard and just hearing some neighborhood kids and, and just using phrases like that, I was just thinking, huh, interesting. And that's well before I decided to preach on this subject. But rarely, rarely do we tackle the subject because it's so absolutely uncomfortable to talk about the reality of a place and not just a place, a place where real people go. There are people that will try to deny the existence of hell and they'll, they'll focus that, that it's just hell on earth. It's just the bad stuff where famine and war and plague and pestilence and disease and all these things. That's, that's hell. But no, the Bible does not say that's hell. They say that's distortion. That's the effects of a fallen world to be sure. But it speaks specifically of hell. And we avoid that conversation. We might use the word, but we avoid the conversation about this place because it shuts down talk at times. It makes things too serious, too real. You believe too much of this to be true. And of course we do. Because the Lord believed in it. The Lord spoke of it. The Lord was not afraid of this conversation. And so I hope today you're not sitting here hearing this word, hell, 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 over and over again. You're saying, conversation over. I'm already tuned out. Please hear me and know that I am trying to communicate kindness and grace to you according to God's word. But let's stand and read this together. It will be on the screen behind us. If you're using our pew Bible and having trouble finding Luke chapter 16, the Gospel of Luke chapter 16 is on page 929. And if you do not have a Bible to call your own that you can read and understand, please take that as our gift to you. 
But this is what it says. The Word of the Lord. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with the food, with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, the Greek word here pointing towards hell, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my flame. Because I am agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them if they don't listen to Moses And the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Let's pray. Lord God, today, this is a hard subject, but it is from Your Word, which we must consider a gift of grace and kindness to us. A kindness that leads to repentance for those who have not yet believed and trusted in You. And a kindness that leads to renewal for those that must be re-engaged in sharing Your grace to a world in need. Today, help us to hear from You, to be taught from You. And Jesus, help me just to be Your servant today as we point people to the loving, good, glorious grace of Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. As always, our goal is to help people understand the Bible. And especially when we're dealing with such a difficult subject, sometimes people may say, I got questions. I'm trying to figure out what this is all about. Here, Jesus is telling a parable. And when we look at it, we need to say, all right, here's how we're going to look at these questions. We need to look and see what it says to read it for ourselves. That's why we don't just theorize or come up with abstract ideas. We go to what the Word says. But we need to see what it means. Here, the Gospel of Luke, written by the good doctor, trying to communicate to Theophilus and the readers that would have this This text, what it means to know the serving Son of Man who came to seek those who were lost. And this text was given to us. It was written sometime between 20 and 25 years after Jesus' life. We've talked about how that's a good thing. It puts it within the first generation lifetime of those 
who were there when Jesus walked the earth so that they would be able to say, hey, that did happen or that didn't happen. And this is confirmed and confirmed and confirmed. Much greater in its uh, rich authority than most things that point back to the leaders and history of antiquity. Most literature that you would find about rulers and leaders and great influential people in antiquity, most of them date back only only to within 100 to 150 years of the person's life. That would be like me trying to write about something that happened in 1910. While I may know someone that knew someone around 1910, most of the people that we know don't date back to 1910. We just don't have that. But this was written into the same lifetime. This would be like me writing about my college days. I was there. I lived through this. It was in the same lifetime. Luke, the the Gospel Luke being the longest book of the New Testament, takes time to paint the picture of who this Jesus is. He carefully researched the the life of Jesus. He tells us this. It's also paired with the book of Acts. It's the second part, which talks about the early church. But it gives us this portrait that Jesus is absolutely divine in the fact that He is of God, He is God, and He is also human, that He suffered and, and dealt with the struggles that we struggle with as well, but yet sinless. But we may ask, well, how does it apply when we see the meaning of this text that, that the Gospel is meant to point us towards Jesus? We need to ask, well, how does this apply? Well, it applies. It doesn't change the meaning, but the significance of us is that there are implications of what the Bible presents to us that hits each and every one of us, that it never changes the meaning, but it applies in our little realm, our little bubble. When we come back together and we disperse, we're going to different parts of the world. We come from different backgrounds. And the significance, while it doesn't change the meaning, it can apply to you in a very powerful and potent way. But we ask to ask the question to you, if you have questions, will you trust what God has said and what He reveals? Here in this narrow text, we see Jesus giving this parable that that lets us know that hell is a real matter and it must matter to us that real people we know are headed there. This is not meant to be taken out and just thrown out and trying to chastise a, a, a segment of the population. It's not meant to be saying, well, poor people are good, rich people are bad, and this is where they're all going to end up. No, that is, that is misconstruing the text here. But it is to let us know that, that just as Jesus spoke on this, It is a reality that is a part of our life that there is a real place called hell and that should matter to us. That there is a real people that we know that are headed there. So as we get into the text today, we're going to look at some questions on this subject to help us gain a little more clarity and how it may help us to understand the reality of hell and understand the regard that God has placed for us in the Gospel The first question we're going to have is what is the text proclaiming in this parable from Jesus? And I know it's going to be on the screen, but it's not in the Bible app and it's not in your notes. You can consider this bonus content. I know we buy DVDs and that kind of thing, so you're getting some bonus content. I want you to notice a few things that this thing, this this parable has. A parable was a illustration, a teaching from Jesus that gave us a a relevant story that gave us a bigger picture about how the kingdom operates, about how God in His awesome, mighty knowledge has set this 
world, this universe, into play. We notice that there are two characters. The rich man who has no name. A poor man named Lazarus. A poor man in a very poor condition. We notice that there are two confines that they find themselves in after death. One being hell, where the rich man resides, and the other being heaven. We see that there are two cries. Now, the fact is is that we never hear Lazarus speak. Both of these cries come from the man in hell. As he cries out to Father Abraham, he's crying out for, first of all, his thirst to be quenched. That he he recognizes the place that he's in, and, and it's agonizing. But secondly, the cry is to go to my loved ones. Now, I want to just pause right here for a moment. Because many people come to this, this, this moment where they're, they're brought before the, the, the reality of hell. And they cannot understand how a loving God could ever send someone there and, and, and that reality. And, and then they deal with the fact that there are people that they know people that they love that perhaps might have gone to hell. And so, in their anguish, they want to be with those that they love regardless of the place. But even the cry of the rich man is, I don't want any of my loved ones to ever be here. Do not ever desire for that place. We also see two crises. One is that there is no change in these things after we die. Two, there is no convincing anyone aside from the power of the Word. There is no convincing anyone aside from the power of the Word. These are concepts that are taught in this parable by Jesus. But but let's look a little bit deeper, if we will. Uh, Not that we can't learn from Jesus' scenario here. We must learn from Jesus. But let's look at some just the really bad stuff. Why is hell so bad why is it so taboo why is it so difficult to talk about without a joking disconnected manner why is why is it something we push off and and we try not to think about and and then whenever it comes that moment we're afraid to even dialogue about it if someone we love passes away and we're not sure where they ended up believe me it's a subject you do not want to preach at a funeral even if you don't know where the person is at But nevertheless, it's the reality. Here's some things we've learned about hell. One, it's an eternal place. Jesus spoke about hell three times for every one time He talked about heaven. And every time He paints it, He says it's a place where the fire never goes out, where the worm never dies. In other words, it's an ongoing eternal place it is not an annihilation place where there's one moment of pain and then poof it's over it's ongoing forever you feel the sense of agony the sense of dread it's tough isn't it but in this eternal place we see jesus speaks about it being the default because of our sin and our rebellion towards god but the gospels the scriptures John, 1 John, 1, 1 John 5.13 says, These things I have written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Why? So that you may have eternal life. God has given this so that we would not have to face 
the eternity of hell. Do you see the grace that combats the agony? That God says, I love you so much, I've provided a way, and this way is the eternal way. But here's the big deal about this. If hell and heaven are eternal places, then every person that has ever walked this earth and died is in one of the two. Every person that has ever walked this earth and died is in one of the two for eternity. That's why this is a serious subject. Not only is hell an eternal place, it is a painful place. It is not a pleasure place. It's not the party place. It's not the rock and roll center. painful it's difficult it's agonizing as the rich man would say hell is described in multiple places in the bible times it's described as an unending pit you ever had that bad dream you can't wake up and you just feel like you're falling forever it's talked about at a place where demons torment man It's painted as a picture of fire and flame and yet total darkness. A place where there are worms that never die. I can't picture a more painful place, nor do I desire to. Could not fathom it. And as such, it's a painful place. It is also a fearful place. A place to be dreaded. A place to be avoided. A place that God did not attend for His people to go there, yet in choosing to reject Jesus, they choose to continue on the already preset default of their sin. Jesus said that the pit of hell was designed. It was for the devil and his angels. It was never meant for man, but man makes his way there by distancing himself from God. Hell is not only a fearful place, it's a sorrowful place. A writer in the medieval ages named Dante Alighieri, he set apart writing a poem and trying to describe the gates and the levels of hell. Now, it's all allegory and, and, and a novel. It's, it's, it's just a speculation of what could be. But in one of the stark descriptions he gives on this inferno, is that the gates above the portals to hell say, Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. That it's a place of sadness. There will be no joy. There will be no moments of laughter there. It will be a place of madness. It is also a lonely place. And a place where you hope is lonely. For the man, he did not want his his loved ones to be there so that he could have company over the weekend. No, he wanted them to avoid it at all costs. It was something that you would never wish on your worst enemy. And I pray that's the case. 
I have heard it said, and, and I know the, 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 the problems and the pain of war and the lack of trust among nations and those kind of things, but I, I've heard it said and uttered from people that I would say are, are people who profess to be Christians. When they talk about peoples from another place and, and, and the, the secret desire or the open desire that they could all just go to, oh, please, merciful, no. May that never be an amen access a part of our life. We want hell to be even more lonely because we want less people to be there. But also hell is a separated place. Set apart from earth, set apart from heaven, a chasm which cannot be crossed. Some pretty bad stuff, to be sure. You may ask, well, is there any good things about hell? What is some good stuff on this real matter of hell? What are some good things that could be there? Does the Bible even give any of an inkling towards any possibility of good? And let me tell you, this may surprise you, yes. There is some good stuff that can be found in hell that the Bible does teach us. The first thing it can tell you is that there are good people in hell. There are good people in hell. People that... Uh, that we would say they are good morally, charitably, in words and all those kind of things. They did good things. And yet, they will be in hell. You could even argue, as I was listening to Pastor Johnny Hunt out of Atlanta share, that this rich man might have even been considered good. You may be like, oh, I don't get that, Pastor. He, he saw Lazarus at his gate and he, and, and he was feasting lavishly and dressed in purple and Lazarus out there having the dogs look his sores. Pastor Johnny Hunt painted this picture and it really made me think. He says this, Lazarus sat at his gate every day. And so whenever he came home, the rich man, there was Lazarus at his gate in his affluent neighborhood, wherever it may be. And he says, let me ask you the question. If you found someone that you would consider degenerate, diseased, begging at your driveway end, how many of you are going to say, you just keep on, brother? Or how many of you are going to say, I'm going to call the police? And I was struck. Just thinking about that. Of course, he didn't get all things right. He certainly had not trusted in the Lord and His authority. That's why you go to hell. It is not because He was rich and it was not because Lazarus was poor that He got to go to heaven. It's because each of them had placed their faith in something. And while the rich man may have been good in some other ways, he still was sentenced to this place. Another good thing that you apparently can have in hell is you can have pretty good eyesight. Because even though it's a chasm that you cannot cross, in this parable, he could speak over to Abraham. He could see him. He even saw that familiar soul that was laying at his gate entranceway, having dogs lick his wounds. He saw him a long way off. And saw the distinctive difference of what Lazarus had and what he lacked. Another good thing that you can have in hell is a good prayer life. 
You can have a good prayer life. You can talk and cry out to God every single day. In fact, the Bible tells us that those that are sentenced to hell and those that go to heaven, both of them are going to bow the knee and say that Jesus is Lord. Regardless of what their life looked like in heaven. On that day of judgment, that will happen. And here he cries out. He cries out to Father Abraham. He doesn't cry out to the Lord. But he's praying. Send some mercy. Unfortunately, it's too late. There's good recall in heaven. Abraham speaks back. And once again, this is a parable. But Abraham speaks back and says, remember that during your life you received all the good things. You'll remember all the good blessings that you had. And every one of them that you took for granted and not trust the Lord and say thank you. And come back to Him and say, God, I am your servant. And even though Lazarus as difficult of shape as he was in, there was a soul who had trusted in the Lord. And he had received rescue. The Bible tells us not only are there good prayers and good recall and good eyesight and good people there, there's actually even good theology in hell. Once again, every person, every person, whether on heaven, in heaven or on earth, or as the book of Philippians chapter 2 tells us, under the earth will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's going to be a cry. Unfortunately, too little, too late in that moment. You can also see there are good priorities in hell. These good people that have good prayer lives now crying out to God after all the time and grace that He had given them on earth, they're speaking with theology at this moment. They'll have good priorities. They will cry, God, just send someone. Resurrect someone from the dead so that those that I love would never have to face the torment. That They would have a witness to never be here because I could never wish this on the worst of enemies, much less on those who I love. There'll also be good intentions. There'll be good intentions. This we may not find in the text openly declared, but we find many in this life that says, oh, God just knows my heart. Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? I didn't call on Him and ask Him to save me. I wasn't ever thankful for His grace demonstrated to me. I never recognized Him as the giver of breath in my lungs, a heartbeat in my chest. But God knows my heart. And I I always intended to get right with Him. I just never had the time. I can assure you this. The rich man never intended to go to hell. No one ever does. No one ever sets up and says, you know what? I want to live a life that looks good and pristine on the outside. And one day, my most exciting adventure is I'm going to bust hell wide open. No one says that. No one desires that. And yet, even though no one desires that, many do not heed the warnings. They procrastinate the day and they say, my intentions are good. I just, I'm just not ready.
Let me ask, what is this all about? Let me tell you the real good news. The real good news is while the subject of this sermon is on the reality of hell that should spark in us an urgency for those who are lost to have peace with God and for those who are found to help find some more, that's a part of the emphasis. The really good news is that there's a man named Jesus. There's a good news gospel that comes from this Jesus. This Jesus is the Son of Man who was the one that took on flesh. He was the Son of God who stepped out of heaven and and put on this wrapping of our humanity. And He, being as holy and glorious and awesome and powerful as He is, the book of Philippians, he says, he did not consider equality with God as something to be robbed, as to be grasped. And he emptied himself. He emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. Why? Why would he do that? Why would he become obedient even to death on a cross? Why? Because this great, almighty, awesome, justice, holy one of God who sets the righteous standard and is the ultimate authority He sees the brokenness and the rebellion and the ugliness and the disease and the enslavement and the death that comes from sin. And this God that we sometimes complain about, how could He create a place so awful? He says, I make the way and I made the most awful cost necessary for you to be saved. I gave Myself to come and live completely obedient to the righteous standard And to die the sinner's death so that the sinner could be made righteous. And out of my grace, I have offered a gift to mankind because I don't want them to go to hell. I want them to have me. And when they have me, guess what? They get the bonus prize. They get the bonus content of heaven. And I want them to have that. So I place this gospel in the hands of my people so that the world might know. That my people would tell them. And they would tell them with eternal urgency to respond to the message of Jesus and to turn from death to life, from curse to blessing, from hell to heaven, from sin to righteousness. And not only have your eternity changed, it hangs in the balance, your very life transformed. Why? Because Jesus is the gracious, gospel-giving, glorious God Almighty who even gives us bad news for our good. And He trusts the church to carry that good news to those who are in bad shape. Because He is worthy of such worship. He is worthy of such ministry because hell is a real matter. It's a real place. There are real people that you and I know, whether we like it or not, they're going there if they do not have Jesus. And how will they know Jesus until the church proclaims this gift of His grace to them? Let's pray. Lord God, 
today I know I'm uncomfortable. But that does not mean it was unnecessary. Lord, I pray that we would not take for granted the glorious gift of life, the grace that you have demonstrated to us to rescue us from hell. And I pray that we would not take for granted the fact that around us there are still lost people in need of such rich grace that comes from you. And the very reason that you have delayed, that you didn't just save us and poof, take us to heaven is that you are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The reason you have not returned, and, and, and we may think it's slow, but a day with you is like a thousand years of days, a thousand years of days, because you are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I know that there are many that will choose the way of destruction, and, and there are few who will find the narrow way to life. But while breath is in our lungs, a heartbeat in our chest, and feet in our shoes, and hands out to serve, and a, and a brain in our head, and, and lips to speak, God, help us communicate the Word of Christ because the Word, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. They cannot know unless someone tells them, just like we could not know unless someone had told us. So Lord, plant in our hearts a desire of goodness to go to the ones that are around us, those that are impressed upon our minds right now as we speak, that we know need You. Impress on our heart a desire to do good, but also disturb us with a holy disturbance about the reality that without You, this is their ultimate end. And the words of our brother from centuries ago. May it be that if sinners are going to be damned, that they have to find themselves leaping over our bodies, resting around their knees, praying for them, pleading with them to look to You. For we could never desire this for anyone. And we thank You for Your rescue from it. We thank You for the way that You made by paying the penalty for it, by overcoming death, by rising from the grave. And today, we thank You that peace can be found in You because You are a risen Lord, the One who put death to death and has brought life to life. We say hallelujah to You. And God, that is only just a small statement compared to the worthiness for what you've done and who you are. Today, move your church in this moment of response to worship you, to praise you, to live for you, to obey you. And should there be any listening today, either online or in this room, that need that peace with you, help them leave and forsake the clutches of sin and death and hell and cling to the cross of Christ Almighty. We pray for you to work in this time as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.